Today's First Friday, so we celebrate the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And so it's a time and a moment to reflect upon the meaning of Christ's heart and the meaning of, of charity and love uh, in general. And also we have a nice passage here from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians and the heart is spoken about there as well too, about how God is going to judge us on the basis of the thoughts and the intentions and the reasonings and the motives of the human heart. That's what the final judgment from God is based on. I think maybe the, uh, to sum up my homily today is to make a simple point here. And I'm actually going to, as I approach the elections, we're, you're going to hear more homilies uh, that are relevant to uh, our life uh, and our political life together as Americans, uh, as American Christians, as American Catholics. So I'll be speaking about these sorts of things. Maybe by way of anticipation, just to say simply today that we can never separate politics on the one hand from interior morality and love. They have to go together. And it is amazing how it's kind of a simple, it's such a simple thing to say that, but it really is amazing how in the current political sphere we get whipped up into a frenzy of anger on one side or the other, and all the passions and the emotions are flaring and people are worked up and, and we just completely forget about such a simple principle that we can never separate charity and true interior morality from our political life. I mean, it's just so simple, it's not even funny. But we really do, we completely forget, it's like amnesia. I think most Americans, if you were to sit them down, not to tell them whether it's a Republican or a Democrat asking them the question, okay, and they were, you're just to get them in a quiet time and place and you were to say, do you think that, you know, true morality and love should be completely siloed off from our political life? I hardly think, very few, very few Americans would say, yeah, I think so. So I think most people have that intuition that these two things belong together. Nonetheless, our behavior in the political sphere very much does not testify to that, that intuition that I think most of us have. If we look at, at the history of the devotion of the Sacred Heart, it's actually very political. And again, I think sometimes that's surprising to people when they know and they learn about the history of the devotion to the Sacred Heart. St. Mary Magdalene was one of the key figures through whom this private devotion was given to us. Um, so we've got to go back to France in the late 18th century. And uh, what Jesus was saying to her was basically that as a whole, society as a whole in France, at every level, starting at the political level, starting at the level of the king and the nobles and the upper crust who were running things politically, from them all the way down, there was an abandonment uh, of the love of Christ, an abandonment of the sacred heart. And they got the famous saying, it's very beautiful, love is not loved. Christ died for each one of us as an individual. And somehow his love was not being returned by the Catholics of France at that time. 
And one of the ways, the very obvious ways that his love was not being returned was more and more they were banishing him from the public sphere. And religion was becoming this super private affair. And it had nothing to do. And the, and the Christian morality and Christian virtues, especially the virtue of charity, more and more had nothing to do with the broader public sphere. And isn't that ironic? I think sometimes people have a stereotypical understanding of devotion to the Sacred Heart. They think of, no offense to anybody here who might be over 65 years old, but they, they, they think of devotion to the Sacred Heart. Is that something like that little old Italian ladies do? You know, they're just hidden out in a church somewhere and they light a candle and it's devotion to the Sacred Heart. It's a super privatized um, devotion. And the origin of the whole devotion really had political consequences and political implications from the beginning. So, for example, during the French Revolution, you had the resistance against the revolutionaries. They were very, very zealous Catholic resistance, uh, the Vendée region in the northern part of France. And their symbol was the Sacred Heart. So they, they designed this patch, and they sewed the patch on to their uniforms. That was part of the, the resistance, and they did it under the banner of the Sacred Heart, um, because they were seeing that Christ's love was being not returned, it was being banished from the public sphere. So my brothers and sisters, it's a simple reminder today that our the true interior morality has to be, including the Christian virtue of charity, has to be integral to the political discourse that we're engaged in today. We see two sides, and there is so much vitriol and hatred uh, on each side. There was a poll that was done, I've seen recently, where if you go back as early, as recently as 1990, I mean, it's not long ago, it's 30 years ago. I remember 1990 very well. I remember like it was yesterday. That was my high school years, you know. And uh, if you were to ask... Republicans, um, do you, uh, are, are Democrats terrible people? And you know, who's a, who, the affirmative response? What was the percentage of the affirmative response? It was like a 50% response. Like 50% of Republicans in 1990 would say Democrats are terrible people. Okay? <laughs> and then vice versa. So if you were to ask Democrats, are Republicans terrible people? It was like 50% of them would say, yeah, they're terrible people. The other half would say, no, they're not terrible people. We just we disagree with each other. And there's strong disagreements, but we, that's what they are. I'm not saying that they're terrible people. So in recent years, though, when that same kind of question is asked, so we're talking so more up like at 90%. So like 90% of Democrats are saying Republicans are terrible people. 90% of Republicans are saying Democrats are terrible people. Okay? So when you have that kind of judgmentalism going back and forth, what happens? You prejudge the other person. You're never able to listen to them. And uh, if, if you really think someone's a terrible person, uh, it's really, it's probably not identical, but it's close to really hating them. Okay? And if you have hatred in your heart for someone that's different from you, that disagrees with you. How can you be unified? How can you be together? How can you be one? How can you both uh, 
try to come up with a solution for the common good of society. Recently I came across something very, very refreshing. There's voices out there that are a minority of people who are very rational and they're not divisive. And they might be Republicans and they might be Democrats, but they're, they're rational and they're actually just simply saying what I'm saying is that we really do need to take the level of civil discourse and make it civil. So there's this organization that's called uh, Angels uh, of Our Better Nature. It used to be called that. Now it's called Angels of Our Braver Nature or something like that. And uh, the national spokesman for this organization is, is a man by the name of um, John Wood Jr. And he's, by appearances, he's a black man, but he's actually half white, half black. And so his joke is he always starts off his talks by saying, my mother was uh, a black Democrat, and my father was a white Republican. And so I spent my entire life growing up trying to explain my mother to my father, explaining my father to my mother. <laughs> so he's really a, a perfect figure to do specifically what I'm talking about. And the goal of the organization that he represents, and they, on the board of directors, they got some very powerhouse intellects, like Jonathan Haidt, for example. Okay, if anybody doesn't know the, the name Jonathan Haidt, you should familiarize yourself with it because he's one of these voices. He wrote the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. He wrote the book, The Righteous Mind. He's a moral psychologist. And uh, him and dozens of other people who are involved in this organization, it's very refreshing. It kind of restores your, your faith in, in humanity and in America because these are very reasonable people who come from different sides of the political aisle. And they're trying to cultivate civil discourse uh, between the two two sides. Now, so you look at someone like this guy, John Wood Jr. At the the, the summit of his talk that he gave, the twenty minute talk I watched on YouTube, was simply we have to actually remember and listen to what Martin Luther King Jr. actually talked about, and that is we need to bring charity or love into the public sphere and actually use that as a social principle, a principle of civil discourse. Because sometimes we can kind of privatize love. Oh yeah, I love this person, I love my neighbor, and it becomes a very private thing. But we have to extend love into the, into the political sphere such that love is willing the good of the other person. When you're in a political dialogue with someone that you disagree with and that disagrees with you, do you really care about the good of that other person that you're speaking to. It's a really simple thing, but this is what Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about. And uh, this is something that we need to be reminded about at this time. Do you really care about the good of the other person? Do you ultimately want to be in a loving, harmonious relationship with that person? Or do you just want to beat them up? Do you just want to make, prove them wrong just want to overcome them are they your enemy again such a simple thing that love needs to be brought into the public sphere now the sad part about all of this is that if you look on the number of views of YouTube views of this man like I mean this guy he's brilliant his mind is brilliant how he analyzes both individual responsibility and patriotism on the one hand and then also the different social structures both political and economic that 
take away opportunities from certain people groups and how we need to take into consideration both of these things when we're trying to find political solutions to, to broad social problems. I mean, he's a very brilliant man. Um, the number of views of his YouTube video, 1,700. Hardly anybody's watching it. Now, it takes someone who's like an extreme right or extreme left, and they're painting the other side as the devil incarnate. How many views are these people getting? Seven, seven, a million, seven hundred thousand, sometimes? <laughs> so, part of the problem of the polarization and the division and the disharmony is social media itself is that it's the most passionate and angry videos, the ones that have the most self-righteous indignation, the ones that paint everything as a battle between the forces of darkness and the forces of light, this kind of dramatic polarizations and divisions. Those are the ones that get people's attention, and they get re-clipped, and they get re-clipped, and then they get passed on, and they say, if you like this video, you probably like that one too. <laughs> so, so we need my brothers and sisters to wake up to the fact that we're basically lab rats in a large-scale social experiment of how to how technology and mathematical algorithms can actually divide us from each other and stop us from talking to each other. Pretty, pretty. Simple stuff, but how much do we need that reminder? And today, may, may God remind us as we celebrate the Savior Heart of Christ. Christ died, He gave His entire life for each one of us individually. And that's the love, the burning love of the Sacred Heart of Christ. May we bring that same love into the world for everybody we meet at an individual level and also at the level of political discourse.